Some of the hottest startups right now are in the travel technology sector. You have some very interesting activity going on when it comes to cryptocurrency and travel. You have this constant innovation going on with apps and travel, new ways of finding inexpensive airfares, new ways of finding accommodations, new types of accommodations. I've seen some really great startups with accommodations, especially for long-term guests. We've seen now a lot of long-term visitors, digital nomads. If you're a freelancer or an investor, those are probably some great places to be looking for opportunities. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Looking Forward, opportunities for job, career, business, and investment seekers. If that describes you, then this is the podcast for you. If you're a freelancer, a startup or small business, a well-established company, a nonprofit, or even someone thinking about a second or possibly a third career, this is for you too. You see, here in Looking Forward, we focus on global trends in the future, but most importantly, on the opportunities they're creating. Our guest experts will not only tell you about those opportunities, they will also give you some tips to help you take the first steps toward capitalizing on them. I'm your host, Jeff Ostroff. Hi, everybody. We've got a great episode here with Chris Elliott, travel industry expert and consumer advocate. I hope you enjoy learning about trends and opportunities in the travel industry. To find out more about Chris, please listen to the episode or check the show notes. Hi, Chris. Welcome back to Looking Forward Opportunities for Job, Career, Business, and Investment Seekers. Jeff, it's great to be with you. Well, it isn't that often that I get to have a guest of your caliber. I've had great guests, but I think it's the combination of your personality, your expertise, and your subject matter that makes you a delight to speak with. Lately, I know you've been all over the place, including right now you're in Basel, Switzerland, and you've been in Eastern Europe, you've been in Western Europe, you've been in Israel, you've been away for a long time. So when you talk about travel, we know that you are an expert. The question I want to ask you first, of course, for those who haven't heard Chris on my show in the past, is how did you first get involved in travel? Oh my goodness. I know that I answer this question differently every time. I think that I probably have some nomadic blood in me somewhere. In fact, I was in a hotel two weeks ago and I was talking to the concierge there who was Greek. And it happened that he was from same village that my grandfather came from in the early 1900s. My grandfather emigrated from Greece to the United States. And he said, I know the men in that village and they can't sit still. And I go, oh, that's me. I can't sit still. <laughs> but I, uh, I was very lucky to have been raised in Europe. My father was in the ministry. And so uh, we moved around a lot. And I think that they, something just stuck with uh, moving around. That ended me or landed me with uh, a career in travel journalism with an emphasis actually on consumer advocacy because I also have a little bit of a rescue complex. So anyway, I've been, I'll fast forward to 2001 or 2000 when I was an editor at National Geographic. And I was taking my son, who is now 20 years old, I was taking him into the office to show him off to everyone else. Look, I have a baby. and my editor pulled me into his office and said, so where are you going to take him? And I said, 
Keith, he's just three months old. I'm going to go back home. And he goes, no, you have to take him traveling. He's going to learn more outside the classroom than he does in the classroom. What can I do to make that happen? And so for the next 16 years or so, I wrote about family travel. I traveled around the world and took my kids with me. So that's how I ended up being the travel writer that I am today. It's a fantastic story. And what a great educational experience for your children. What a great family experience. And I might add that Chris's two sons are in Basel with him right now. And we'll get to this at the end, Chris, but he's got a wonderful podcast and you'll hear his sons, Aaron and Aiden, on the podcast. Chris, as you know, in part, Looking Forward is all about trends. You being an expert on travel, and you've been doing a lot of that, you haven't been on the show in over two years, which is unbelievable. The time is really flying. What are things that have happened, trends that have emerged in hotels, in airlines, in cars? What's happened in these last couple of years? Well, in the last two years, when it comes to cars, we've had a chip shortage that's led to a massive problem with rental cars. We've had skyrocketing fuel prices, which have kept a lot of people home instead of traveling. In the airline sector, we've had the largest airline bailout in the history of bailouts. It's even actually, it's $81 billion larger than the car industry bailout after the Great Recession. Wow. And yeah, it's really quite stunning. The hotel industry is right now going through and still is going through a huge problem with labor. So you have some hotels that are not fully staffed yet. A lot of people have quit. You hear the term quiet quitting and quiet firing. Yes. And uh, that that's unlikely to be resolved for the next couple of months, maybe longer. You have further growth in the vacation rental industry, Airbnb, VRBO, and a ton of startups have come along mm. and are uh, vying for that piece of the lodging sector that used to be almost exclusively owned by the hotels. And when it comes to travel, you have also travelers themselves who have changed. They've become a lot more skittish because of the pandemic. Yeah. Some of them are not traveling, even though they can. It's safe to go out there. They're not. They're staying home. And as if that wasn't enough, you also have inflation. We've had a couple of good reports, but it still is a problem. And you have the possibility of a recession. So that's a lot. That is a lot. Just to delve into that a little further, Chris, cruise lines. It's been very difficult for them with COVID. How about for travelers? Are they more likely at the moment over these last two years to start getting involved in travel? Have they been getting more involved in cruise travel? Have cruise lines changed much to adapt? Cruise lines basically shut down at the early part of the pandemic, and then they put out a big PR effort saying, hey, we've cleaned up our cruise ships. Uh, everything is clean and sanitary, and, you, and it's safe to cruise again. Turns out it wasn't quite so safe, and you had, fortunately, you had a lot of COVID cases. But the big trend that we've seen is that the government has finally just said, meh, it's okay. We're not going to check for anything. They had this control panel or cruise ships where they were reporting COVID cases and they just erased that overnight and it's all gone. It's like, oh, COVID, what COVID? So cruise passengers 
there's really two kinds of passengers, right? They're the ones who will try it. And then there's the diehard cruise passengers who will keep going over and over again. Yeah. And if you're a, a diehard cruise passenger, you're not going to let COVID stand in the way of anything. But for the people who are thinking about cruising, yeah, yeah being on one of those floating Petri dishes, probably not that appealing. And so the industry is really trying to get them to come back now. Yeah. I want to come back to also something you said, Chris, you alluded to the hotel industry. A lot of what you report on, it seems to me, and certainly a lot of the advocacy work that we'll have you talk about at the end, revolves around service. Mm -hmm. So airline service, service in hotels, gotten worse, same, probably not gotten better, but we've seen there. Gotten worse. Gotten worse. Heard it, people. It's gotten worse. Well, you've heard of Moore's Law, right? Where the processors are doubling in capacity every two years or so. Yeah. There should be a law in travel that is where every two years the service levels go down by, you know, 50%. <laughs> oh, um, I'm only half kidding here, but it, uh, the last two years definitely would have proven that law true. I think that overall the feeling is, well, we're still here. And you should be grateful for that. We still have an airline. We still have a hotel. And also, we lowered prices so much during the pandemic. You should be grateful for that. And you should pay us more now, even though you're actually getting less service. And actually, there have been people in the industry, and specifically the hotel industry, who have said, we're just going to have to lower the bar and we're going to have to try to get our customers used to the fact that they're going to pay more and that they're going to get less. And as a consumer advocate, that really wow. chaps my hide. Oh, yeah. You know that Looking Forward is heard by listeners around the world, Chris. And so as you're thinking about the changes that you've seen that you've just spoken about over the last few years since you were on the show, any differences between vacationing and travel, the experiences thereof, the modalities of travel in the U.S.? where this podcast originates versus elsewhere in the world where you spend most of your time. Yeah, I haven't been back to the States in more than a year. So I've been traveling around the world. What I can tell you is that the way people travel elsewhere is sometimes radically different from the way it is in the U.S. Take train travel, for example. I mean, I'm in Switzerland right now, and that's how to get around right now is you take a train. I think that if there's even a law now that you can't have short-haul flights anymore, if it's less than 500 kilometers, uh, you're not allowed to operate flight, I think, it, and people are encouraged to actually take a train instead. I think that we have a little bit of catching up to do in the U.S. when it comes to that. I know this is a little bit off topic, but people also think differently about travel in an intellectual sense. They think of travel, for example, summer vacation, they think of that as a right and not a privilege. Now, you know, in the U.S., we think of taking a quick week and a half, two weeks summer vacation. As you know, in Europe, it's one month. And if you don't take that vacation, something is definitely wrong with you. Uh, yeah. You might even get punished for it by your government. Uh, by not to... That's, uh, I've, I've found that mentality to really be, especially in Europe, it's kind of refreshing, actually. I think we need a little bit more of that in the U.S. With regard to the hotels, the airlines, I don't know about maybe Airbnb type properties, VRBO, anything different about how they're doing, how they're performing, their service 
versus, again, the United States and North America that you might be observing? Well, in Europe, and even when I was in Africa, the idea of cutting back on housekeeping is completely alien to them. So we had, after the pandemic or during the pandemic, a lot of U.S. hotels decided to cut back on housekeeping. I didn't see any of that in Europe. They just kept right on going. Maybe part of the hotel was closed, but they did do their regular housekeeping. I think it's it's understood that that's a service that your hotel provides when you stay there and that you don't cut something like that. The other thing is, this may seem like a small thing, is breakfast. You don't go to a hotel in Europe and say, is breakfast included? Breakfast is always included. Wow. No matter where you're staying. In the U.S., not so much. You know, there's places that will advertise free breakfast, which is not really free. It's included in your hotel. Yeah. But it's that's a very different thing. So there's, there's a, a higher level of customer service and a higher level of amenities that I've noticed. And that's one of the great things, Chris, about traveling and certainly traveling outside of one's own country. And boy, you're doing it in spades as you get broader perspectives about differences between one country and another country and the way businesses operate. So thanks for sharing that with us. Really interesting for me to hear, and I'm sure for the listeners. As you know, Looking Forward's primary focus is on opportunities. So given everything you've talked about, some of which isn't so positive, I'm wondering what opportunities do you believe the travel industry currently offers to any of the following groups? And you don't have to cover all these, Chris. Job and career seekers, entrepreneurs, freelancers, small businesses, or investors. Are there any, I'll say, pockets of opportunities that you would see that might be of interest to our listeners? Well, I think there's a ton of opportunity, actually. Because, as you know, travel is coming back now after a three-year hiatus. So people are going to be looking at new ways of getting from point A to point B, new ways of taking a vacation, new ways of traveling, new ways of recreating. I think that if you're an investor, I mean, some of the hottest startups right now are in the travel technology sector. You have some very interesting activity going on when it comes to cryptocurrency and travel. You have this constant innovation going on with apps and travel, new ways of finding inexpensive airfares, new ways of finding accommodations, new types of accommodations. I've seen some really great startups with accommodations, especially for long-term guests. We've seen now a lot of long-term visitors, digital nomads. If you're a freelancer or an investor, those are probably some great places to be looking for opportunities. Can you name some specific companies as examples? You talked about travel technology and apps and things like that and crypto. Who are these startups that are doing these things? Well, I mean, I'll give you an example because I'm in one right now. A company called Blueground based in Athens that does long-term housing for business executives, digital nomads, business travelers, people doing relocations. And um, so I'm staying in one of Blueground's apartments here in Basel, Switzerland. And the, th the way they've innovated is that they basically put everything onto an app. So when you check in, your entry information to the apartment is on the app. Uh, the location of everything that you need, your Wi-Fi codes, it's all right there on the app. Plus, if you have an issue with anything, you can contact them through the app. And I think that as people start thinking differently about things like accommodations, they're going to be looking at places or at companies like Blue Ground 
to have a more seamless experience when they're traveling. And also, it's a little bit more private because you don't have to worry about there's no concierge, there's no housekeeping staff. You just pop open your app and you can get into your apartment and then that's it. So that's just one example. You mentioned that companies like Verbo, VRBO, and Airbnb are doing well. Do you see opportunities and new players, I think you alluded to that, in that area where there might be jobs and careers and other opportunities? I've been in touch with a company called Hai Chi out of Hawaii. And I don't know, are you familiar with Hai Chi at all? I'm not, and can you spell it, please, for everybody? It's H-I-C-H-E-E. By way of explanation, a lot of vacation rentals will cross lists. So they'll be on VRBO, Airbnb, and then they, you can also rent them th directly through the owner. What Hai Chi does is it takes all this data that it scrapes from VRBO and Airbnb and from essentially the web, and it compares and gives you the best rate. So there's a price differential between Airbnb and VRBO. It'll say, hey, try VRBO, you'll save 40%, 30% or whatever. Or you can also just rent directly from this person. I think it's a terrific business concept. I talked to these guys a couple of times. They're still working a couple of things out. But things like that, where you're actually making the traveler's life easier, that's kind of cool. People like that. They don't want something that's going to make their lives harder, you know, a new booking system that has to be learned or whatever. They want you to make their lives easier. Makes sense. I really hope you're enjoying this episode so far. If you are, can you please do me a small favor? Let some of your family members, friends, or others in your network know about it and about looking forward opportunities for job, career, business, and investment seekers. And hey, if you happen to like this podcast, my interviewing approach, or maybe even my voice, please consider checking out some of the many services my business provides. These include podcast hosting, creation and consulting, voiceovers, professional interviewing, production of audio or video profiles to help you sell your business, promote your services, increase your customers, or raise funding, and services to help you market to the large and growing seniors population. That's something I've actually written a book about. To learn more, please visit www.jeff-ostroff.com. You can also email me at jeff at jeff-ostroff.com. Now let's get back to this episode of Looking Forward, Opportunities for Job, Career, Business, and Investment Seekers. We could go in so many different directions here, Chris. Will cruise operators be hiring more people? Will services like Priceline, which is what you sound like a little bit of a Priceline when you were talking about that, will they hire? Will car rental companies, do you see them having more opportunities? I'm thinking about, again, whether somebody is getting out of college, your son's ages, or maybe they're making a career change, where might they look? Well, if you're looking to get into the travel industry, I think that you have so many choices right now. You could get your pilot's license and apply to become a commercial pilot. I think there's so many opportunities right now because there's a pilot shortage. So I would say okay, if I were 18 or 19 and I like to fly, that's what I would definitely do because there's just a ton of jobs right now flying planes. 
The other area is technology. If I didn't go to, you know, Embry-Riddle to become a pilot, I would probably try to get into MIT and get a doctorate in artificial intelligence or something like that, because I think that's one of the growth areas right there. We don't need more booking apps. We need smarter booking apps. Mm-hmm. And the people who are working on those really smart booking apps, those are the ones who are going to make a lot of money in the future. I can tell you that. Yeah. So overall, you're kind of bullish. You think the industry is going to come back and therefore there'll be opportunities for people. I think it's already coming back. Absolutely. I mean, I'm not happy with the shape that it's taking. I think that you say service has gone down. It really is a terrible thing. But I think that it is coming back and the good players hopefully will get rewarded with our business and the bad players will just simply go out of business. It doesn't unfortunately always happen that way, but I love the idea of making travel smarter and better. And I think that that's the reason that I'm so bullish on the industry. Yeah. And I might add, that's one of the things you do is make travelers smarter and have a better experience. So you're doing that yourself. Looking forward, of course, is partly called looking forward because we look into the future. And I know you love to look into the future and you started to touch on that a little bit. So let's have you talk a little bit, Chris, about what you're seeing for the industry, changes, opportunities, whatever you want to talk about. Just in this decade, how do you think it might play out? Nobody knows for sure. What do you see, Chris? Oh, my gosh. As I said before, there's a lot of opportunities for someone who is going to build a better mousetrap and who is also going to try to make the industry better. So a smarter booking interface, for example, startup, for example, that would make accommodations, find a way of improving on what we already have, for example, build a better Airbnb or a better VRBO. And you hear about them. Unfortunately, what we have right now isn't quite doing it, but I think that there might be something in the future that will eventually outdo what we have with Airbnb. I really feel like this is a great time to be traveling too. So I'm excited to see what some of these innovations are going, how they're going to translate for regular travelers like me. Absolutely. Do you feel that there might be certain areas around the world that perhaps have not been as popular, they're not as well known, that potentially could, I don't know if explode is the right word, but could become much more popular in this decade, given the pent-up demand, plus maybe people didn't know, plus maybe they'll get a better travel experience there, maybe more affordable. Are there any places like that? When you you put it like that, I think of Turkey immediately because people don't think of Turkey as a destination. They maybe are a little bit put off by political Islam. But when you go to Turkey, though, you realize it is a beautiful country. It is absolutely gorgeous. So much potential there. It's probably one of the most beautiful countries I've ever seen. Wow. And yeah, it's just stunning. And it's a very warm climate. The people are very nice. I think that this next election is going to be a make-or-break election for Turkey. If they re-elect the current government, it might be a little bit more difficult to do the investment than, and to bring tourists in. But if they take a turn and maybe go down a more progressive path, I think the floodgates are going to open, and a country like Turkey could really do very well in terms of tourism. Any other places? I, that's a great one. The other place that I've been to is, uh, that's I would consider an up-and-coming destination is Southern Africa. So South Africa, you know, not without its problems, not without its struggles, 
but it is beautiful. Also, it, like on par with Turkey, it has such natural beauty and very, very friendly people as well. They have some security issues, though, that they're dealing with right now. And I think that they're going to need to get those kind of under control in order for it to really go beyond the very niche safari tourists that they get. And then some special interest tourists that go to places like Cape Town and Johannesburg. But I would say that Southern Africa and South Africa specifically is probably also a big growth area. Okay, that's really good to know. Two places people to think about. Chris is recommending for future travel. What tips can you give to our listeners, two or three, Chris, who are wanting to pursue an opportunity? This is not about customer service tips or consumer advocacy here, but more about somebody says, you know what? I listen to Chris, whether I'm 18 or I'm 35, I've had it with this company. I want to do something else. I want to be a nomad. What would be some tips you would give them to get them going? Almost everyone that I've met in the travel industry who is in an executive position have in common is that they all started at the very bottom. They started as a bellman or as a cook in the kitchen or as a maintenance guy turning rooms. And so what I would say is don't be afraid to start at the bottom. Work your way from the bottom up because if you say, I started in the kitchen washing dishes, that gives you a lot of street cred and respect as you work your way up the ladder. So don't be afraid to do that. I think if someone had given me that advice when I was starting, I would have been very resistant to it. I would have said, no, I'm going to college. I don't, I don't have to do that. But honestly, I've met people who have postgraduate degrees who started in the kitchen. And it's really, I think, necessary because you then understand the operation from the top to the bottom, you, you understand if you needed to, you could roll your sleeves up and you could wash the dishes and you would know what you were doing. My advice would be, don't be afraid to get in at the ground floor and work your way up doing that too. And the other thing that I would say is, don't be afraid of technology, embrace it. So if there's a new thing, a new app, a new social network, a new anything, go for it. What have you got to lose? Because that kind of knowledge can really help you advance your career. Knowing how to do something like SEO or knowing how to do um, Facebook chats, for example, that can really, really help you because at some point you're going to be standing in a conference room and someone is going to go, you know, we really need to get our social media team going. Does anyone know anything about Twitter? I mean, I'm giving you an old example. Right. And then you are going to say, yes, I, I'm on Twitter and I know how to do it. And then you'll, you will have that opportunity that no one else would have. Two good points. Just to follow up on that, if I'm somebody who is deciding that, just as an example, I'm in the food industry, I'm, I'm in a completely different industry. I'm in the publishing business or whatever it is, and I've had it. I love travel. I want to somehow get into travel. They might not want to start at the bottom because of the income and the responsibilities. Maybe they have a family. Technology seems like one way to bridge the gap if they know technology. Anything else you would say to somebody like that, Chris, if they're, say they're in their mid-30s or whatever, or 40s, and they want to make the move into travel? Yeah, you can always make a lateral move like that and get some experience on the job, absolutely. And I think technology is a great enabler. If you know technology or have some knowledge of technology that other people don't, 
that will give you a leg up and give you a competitive advantage when you're applying for that job. Absolutely. Technology has just become so critical and it's evolving so quickly. Oh my goodness. Chris, this has been wonderful. Some great tips. I love what you said about uh, Turkey and South Africa because I've not been either one of them and you're wetting my appetite. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you, your books, your columns, your newsletter, your podcast? Oh my goodness. Elliot Advocacy. Am I leaving anything out here? Uh, how do they find out about all this stuff? Get in touch with you, purchase what you have to offer. I'm afraid I'm going to leave something out. Here it goes. I publish a website called The Elliot Report, which is available at elliot.org, E-L-L-I-O-T-T.org. I run a nonprofit called Elliot Advocacy, and that's elliotadvocacy.org. We help people. I have a team of people here who help solve seemingly intractable problems with anything, not just travel. So if you have a problem there, you can go to elliotadvocacy forward slash help, fill out the form, and one of us will try to help you if we can. And that is completely free, by the way. We don't charge anything for that. I write several syndicated columns, one for the Washington Post, one for USA Today. I have two other nationally syndicated columns for King Features. You can find those in newspapers everywhere. And I have my own newsletter called Elliot Confidential, which is at elliotconfidential.com. And that's where I do all of my commentary and advice, mostly on travel, but also sometimes on other things as well. And I would invite you to sign up. It's a free newsletter. There's also a paid version which I think is great because I write it. <laughs> That's good enough reason for me, Chris. <laughs> One thing I want to add, I knew you would leave something out, but it's actually part of Elliot advocacy is Chris and his organization have a tremendous list of the top execs at many companies. And I've used this once where if you have a problem and that organization is on Chris's Elliott advocacy list. You can find actually a phone number or an email or both, and you can reach out. And you know how hard it is even to find a phone number these days or an email? Yes, it's very hard, actually. Well, I created that list mostly because too many people were saying, you know, I was on the phone with this company and I asked if I could speak to a supervisor and they said, there is no supervisor. So I said, oh no, there is, and I'll find it for you and I'll publish it. So uh, we publish the names, and when I say we, it's my organization and I, at Elliot.org. Again, that's E-L-L-I-O-T-T dot O-R-G, two L's and two T's. And if you go to the front page, you'll see a, a link to uh, the company contact. Interesting thing about that is every day I hear from at least one reader who said, I use your list and you help me solve a problem. So these names, we know that they work. I also, about every week, hear from an attorney saying, you published private information about my clients and we want you to take it down. So we, of course, respectfully tell them, I'm sorry, but we are protected by the First Amendment. We're allowed to publish this information. And uh, if you don't like it, we'll see you in court. <laughs> you see that? He's out there working for you, everybody. Chris, it's been wonderful having you again on the show. I wish you continued success in everything you're doing. And for your sons and your daughter as well. And hope to have you back again sometime in the future on looking forward opportunities for job, career, business, and investment seekers. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward Opportunities for Job, 
career, business, and investment seekers. I hope you've enjoyed it and will benefit from it. And if you did like it, please share this episode with anyone you know who you think might also find it of value. And if you have any comments or questions about Looking Forward or any suggestions for future topics or guest experts, you can reach me at the website www.jeff-ostroff.com or through my email address jeff at jeff-ostroff.com. Thanks.